So on, on Sunday, we introduce a new series of talk on spiritual maturity, growth to maturity. And I said on Sunday that I would give the outline for the book of Corinthians, which is, which is the book that I want to kind of spend our time on on Wednesday nights to kind of tie in this series about growing to maturity. And if you have your Bible, we're, we're literally going to go to the first chapter in Corinthians, and I want to outline the book for us tonight. And since we have four weeks in the 16 chapters, uh, I'm going to try to cover four chapters each Wednesday night, and that will take us through the 16 chapters in, in the book of Corinthians. Um, again, if you have your Bibles, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to read the first three verses and outline the book today. So the Bible says this, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sustenus. Paul had uh, what we call scribes, right? Paul sometimes will narrate what he wants to say. And this is one of the scribes that was part of his team. And sometimes when you read in Paul's letters, he would say, I, Paul, said this. Or at the end, he would say, I greet you in the name of these guys. Uh, so this is one of those guys that was part of Paul's team. Verse 2, I am writing to God's church in Corinth, which is the city, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the, the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So he writes this letter to this church in Corinth. And if you've been reading Acts, in Acts 18, it gives you the reference of when Paul actually got to this city. And when he planted the church, Paul's uh, missionary focus was pretty, uh, pretty cool because Paul would hit a city and he would go to the synagogues and that's where he would begin preaching. He would preach in the synagogues, he would get interest from people, he would figure out who is into it, who, who wants to follow Jesus. And then he would literally birth the church there and say, okay, now you guys are going to take it from here. I'm going to go to the next city and plant the next church. But then he would write letters to check in on the churches and to see their progress and what's going on. And this particular church, uh, Paul, as you continue to read chapter one, says, hey, I heard back that some things are not going very well. So I want to write this letter to address some of the issues that I've heard is going on in that city. Now, get this, right? A letter back in those days would take months depending on where you are, to get to the destination that you wanted to go. So it's not like they can get instant feedback. It's not like email, <laughs> okay, or Instagram, right, DM, right? This is like, would take months. So Paul would plant the church. He would spend sometimes six months in one place, a year, two years, depends. I mean, if you read in Acts, you see how it, it changes, right? He would leave and not hear anything. Can you imagine? like going months without knowing what's happening, then he would hear word back. And so he hears word back that, hey, things are not going very well 
in this particular city. And what's interesting is he says, hey, I had, I had tried to address some of these issues with you, which tells us that maybe there's another letter from Paul that we don't have because he's been trying to address some of these issues that's going on in his particular church. Now, to give you a little bit more context, here's, here's a little bit about this particular city because I think it's important for you to understand when you're reading a book, there's a context of why he's saying the things that he's saying in this particular place. So here's some of the background of this, of this city, right? Corinth is in modern-day Greece, right? And as I mentioned on Sunday, it's a port city. They had this athletic games that were second only to the Olympics. Remember, Greece is where the Olympics birthed it. The whole thing started there. And these guys had their own athletic games that they would run. Um, they have found archaeological findings of stadiums that could sit up to 14,000 people in this particular place, right? Um, they had a bunch of temples and shrines, but the main one in this particular city was one dedicated to the Greek goddess Aphrodite, which is, she is the god of fertility. One of the rituals that people would do at this temple, you can basically go and have an orgy as a spiritual experience, okay? This is the city that Paul is writing this letter to where people are coming out of these lifestyles into the church, okay? Corinth was very progressive in their culture, but also very progressive in their government. They were progressive in their finances. So they had means, okay? And one of the interesting things is archaeological findings have found underground systems. One of the first places in the first century that knew how to keep drinks cool, right? So there was a lot of drinking going on in this port city. Matter of fact, they had a saying, hey, you must be a Corinthian because you can drink, okay? Very interesting place to live in. And it was filled with Greek philosophers who basically, Greek philosophers, if you know a little bit about Greek philosophy, is to just stand in a marketplace and just question life and the meaning of life and how to make the most of life and then do it all over again the next day. So for them, eloquence of speech was something that they really kind of treasured because they were highly influenced by the Greek culture. So just to give you a little context, these are the people that are coming out to faith. They're coming out of lifestyles that you would think, that's a little bit <laughs> questionable. And some of this stuff was still happening even though they were in the church. Okay, so when you're reading about the things that Paul is saying, it's not just out of nowhere. He's talking specifically about specific issues that these people were kind of dealing with in the church. Are you tracking so far? So, so let me outline the, the book, and then I want to focus on the first four chapters, right? So here's how the book goes, right? The first thing that Paul does is he's addressing division within the church. Right? He's gotten word that, hey, since you left, people are kind of divided themselves into just different cliques, basically. Some are saying they follow Paul. Some are saying they follow another uh, speaker that came after Paul named Apollos. Some are saying they follow Peter. Uh, so we got a mess in our hands. And so Paul spent the first four chapters just dealing with division within the church. Then there's a specific case of immorality that Paul was like, hey, I heard about this dude who is sleeping with his stepmom and he's in your church. 
And it seems like you're not doing anything about it. So Paul spends a whole chapter just addressing this one specific issue that is happening within this church. Then he finds out that there are lawsuits being done among believers. Paul's like, I can't even believe you guys are taking each other to court. You're suing each other. Like, aren't you brothers and sisters? Can you resolve some of these things on your own? Why are you going to civil courts to resolve these things? Don't you know that you're different now? Right? Another issue is just the immorality in general coming out of, again, drinking lifestyle, partying lifestyle, sleeping around, prostitution, all of that stuff was happening. And Paul was like, listen, we're different. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit now. Right? You can't be living like you don't know God anymore. Right? So keep going. Then the second part of the book He's replying to questions that they had asked him, and he's, and he's answering back questions about marriage. Right? Paul spends a whole chapter on that. Questions about food sacrifices to idols, which I talked a little bit on, on Sunday, which was a big deal because if you're sacrificing to these idols and now you're coming to faith, okay, what do we do with that? Right? And there was two sides to this. Some people were like, listen, we don't care. Like, it's just me, eat. The other people are like, yeah, but I feel weird about eating that. And so they were arguing over the situation. And Paul was trying to help them understand, like, hey, it's not one size fits all. Like, you got to figure out what is happening with each person and address it with grace and love. Right? Then he gets into the order of public worship. Because this is a city where they were talented, they were gifted, there was a lot of people who could do a lot of things that leads to chaos when you're not doing it in order. So Paul stops and says, okay, let's address your public worship. Like, how do you go about, if you are able to prophesy, but this person's over here trying to share a testimony, and you're like, I'm gonna cut you off and prophesy, something is wrong. So he literally takes his time to, to teach, even like, hey, you speak in tongues, that's great, but like, you shouldn't be interrupting when someone else is speaking because you think you're more gifted than they are. So this church, one of the best definitions of this church that I heard was from one of the pastors that said, this is when Christians have gone wild. It's like, there's a lot of issues in this church, including taking communion. You get to chapter 11, back in those days, communion was not this little wafer in a little cup. It was meal. But Paul was like, some of y'all are getting there early. You're drinking all the wine. You're getting drunk off communion. And you're not even waiting for the rest of the people to come in. So this church had a lot of, like, when I read about this church, I feel very encouraged. So I'm like, man, we've come, we, we've, we're doing okay. <laughs> right? Then he breaks down spiritual gifts and how to use spiritual gifts. Okay? How he said, listen, don't forget, like, if you have a gift, it's not for you. It's to edify the body. Because we are, we are a body. Right? You're not an individual. You're part of a body. Right? This is where he gets into like... Your right hand cannot say to your left hand, I don't need you. You know, if you're the eye, you can't say I'm more important than the mouth, right? So he goes into this whole thing about spiritual gifts. Then in chapter 15, he spends, this is a really powerful chapter, by the way. If you ever wonder about the resurrection, read chapter 15. Because some of people were saying the resurrection is not real. Paul was like, no, I have to address this. Like, I saw Jesus personally. <laughs> you know, the disciples saw Jesus personally. 500 people saw Jesus personally. Like, if there is no resurrection, then your faith is in vain. And there's no purpose of being a Christian if there's no resurrection. So he spends a whole chapter explaining the resurrection and how 
we're going to be resurrected one day. Then the last part of the book, it's about the collection that Paul was taking because there was a famine happening in Jerusalem and he was collecting from all the different churches to take money back to Jerusalem to help the Christians who were going through a famine. So that's basically, in a nutshell, what this book is about, right? So I say all this because I think a lot of times if you just jump right into a chapter in the Bible, you know, you might try to get what the context is for you today, but you need to know first what was the original context, then you can have a better understanding of how to interpret it today. Does that make sense? All right, so let me, let me I wanna spend a few minutes, a few minutes as a preacher, you know what that means. Uh, <laughs> I want to focus on four chapters today, all right, and then, and then we'll go from there each Wednesday, all right? So going back to the beginning, the first thing that Paul was trying to address was division within the church, right? When I say the beginning, I meant like my next, yes, this one, disunity. So Paul is addressing disunity, right? And he says this, he says, some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul, Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. Right? So Paul was like, man, I don't know where you, guys, where you guys got this thing from, about taking sides with different leaders within the church, but that's not what this is all about. The whole thing is about Jesus, and we just happen to be the vessels that he wants to use to help you grow in your understanding of who he is. And when you're taking sides, you're dividing the church, right? And when you're dividing the church, the enemy wins. No one wins when we start to, to play these, these really weird roles. Interesting, though, is that in a sense, it makes sense because that society was big on heroes. Right, now track with me because this is important for us today. They were used to people being elevated as heroes, right? So they're coming from that mindset, oh man, it's, it's, it's cool to have like these heroes, right? But Paul was like, no, no, not in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, Jesus is the main hero. We, know, we just get to play our role in what he wants to do in people's lives. And it's crazy because here we are, 21st century later, one of the things that happened a lot in COVID was we saw a lot of heroes fall, and a lot of them in the church, right? We saw a lot of prominent figures fall from grace, and it, and it, and it disrupted a lot of people's faith. Why? Because they were doing this. I follow these guys instead of saying, I follow Jesus, these guys just happen to be vessels that Jesus uses, right? This is important because, because it's normal to have people that you feel like linked to and that, that you feel connected to, but you have to remember that they're just mere humans. Paul actually spends four chapters saying, hey, we're just humans, right? You, you, you have to be careful not to put us in a place where Jesus is only supposed to be. Right? You can have personal preference, but you have to be careful that it doesn't become doctrine. Where now it's like, oh, that's the person, that's the only one, right? And that's a problem because a lot of times you see that and then they do something opposite of what Jesus would do. Now your whole faith is ruined because you put your whole stock into that person. Does that make sense? 
Right? So Paul was like, man, we, we have to be careful to not do that. Because Apollos, Paul planted the church. He started the whole thing. Apollos came later, and Apollos was one of those eloquent speakers. Like, he was well-versed. Paul was like, I'm not a great speaker. Paul even is honest about this. He's like, man, I didn't come to you with eloquence. Right? I came to you preaching Christ and him crucified. Right? But Apollos came to add to that. He didn't come to, like, be the man. And Peter is one of the original disciples. And so everybody's like, man, he, he knows Jesus. But Paul was like, no, we all know Jesus. And we just play different roles within this church. Right? Even today, we have to be careful with this, you know, nowadays we can access a million podcasts if we want to from so many different speakers and from so many different people. But at the end of the day, it's about are these people edifying the body of Christ or is it about them? Right? We have to use discernment when it comes to these things so we don't become divided. The worst thing we need is to argue over people who are supposed to point us all to Jesus, right? Which we see a lot nowadays, right? People are arguing theology, but they're missing the heart of God because you're taking sides as opposed to saying, no, aren't we all on the same team? It just happened that you might, you might be an Apollos where you're very eloquent, right, in your, in your understanding of scriptures, but it doesn't mean that Paul is less than Right, because he's not as eloquent as Apollos, or because Peter was there with Jesus, you know. This is something that, unfortunately, once in a while, uh, we we it gets lost in translation. That personal preference should never trump the unity of the church. Right, personal preference should never trump the unity of the church, because the church is one. I just had lunch yesterday with the pastor in the city. And we're very different in a lot of ways. But we know that our unity in Christ is way more important than the differences that we have. So we get together on purpose to encourage each other. And, and we were just saying how we need, because we used to have a, a much bigger group of pastors used to get together before COVID. We're like, we need to bring that back because we need to encourage each other that we're all on the same team. You know, we may have different approaches. So, so I pray that... that that to me is maturity. Maturity is saying, listen, yes, you might, you might like a different style of music when it comes to your worship time, but we're still worshiping the same Jesus. Right? You, you might prefer the King James Version. Like, T.D. Jake's probably the best preacher of all time. Like, that's not even an argument. If you argue that, you don't, want, you don't understand. He only preaches from the King James Version. Nothing wrong with that. I like the New Living. Why? Because it makes more sense to me. <laughs> I have a hard time reading King James. When I got saved, I tried to read King James. I lost my salvation. You know? <laughs> I'm just, I just couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. I can't, it doesn't compute for me. Right? But guess what? That's secondary. That's not a primary. Like we, what I see a lot of times, people take secondary issues and make them like the issue. It's like, yo, you don't read the King James? It's like, yeah, no, I don't. I don't understand it. That doesn't mean I'm not saved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but we get hung up on these things like, oh, so some churches only do hymns, right? I love hymns. If you know me, old school, I love hymns, right? But it doesn't mean everybody should just be doing hymns, right? That's just a preference, right? 
And it doesn't mean that every song that says Jesus is awesome, neither. Because <laughs> let's be honest, there's some song you're like, you said Jesus, doesn't mean it was a good song. Right? So we have to be careful that these things don't become primary. Primary is, do you love Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your savior? Are you following him? Are you devoted to him? Do you want to grow in him? Do you want to develop a relationship with him? Then if you like to do that just through hymns, go ahead. <laughs> you know, but let's not get hung up on things that are not primary. Are you tracking with me? I want to say it again. Personal preferences should never trump unity. And if, and if God's leading you to a specific church, then you should be united with the heart of that church because he's giving you options. Like I was just, uh, again, I passed a friend of mine, we were saying that, we're like, I believe this. I believe every city needs at least five or six really healthy churches so people can have options, right? So like that, hey, if you come here, you're like, man, uh, you guys are too loud. Hey, guess what? My friend over there, they're quiet. <laughs> They love Jesus, okay? Maybe you can go over there and grow on that place, right? Because I don't go to McDonald's and go, how come y'all don't make Whoppers? Because we're not Burger King. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to start a strike outside of Burger King. <laughs> make Whoppers. You don't make Whoppers. You heretics, you don't make... Okay, you don't get that joke. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I'll move on. Um, <laughs> if you go, go, to, go to my next slide, right? Paul goes into the second part of chapter one. He gets into the, what is wisdom, right? Because again, Greek philosophers love to expound on wisdom, right? And he says, listen, here's, here's what I came to you with. He says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. Keep going. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I rely only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. I love that about Paul. He's so humble. Listen, the truth is, if you study history, Paul would be up there as one of the history makers. Like, Paul changed the world. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke. Outside the Bible, Paul changed the landscape of the world through his missionary work and this is revolutionary. No one did what he did. He wrote letters. This was a new technology that no one was using, right? So here he is, though, being so humble in his approach to saying, listen, I didn't come to you trying to be eloquent and try to be, you know, the smartest. I just came to you with the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? Because if you keep reading the letter and you read the second letter, they were saying that Paul is not, he's not impressive, Apollos is impressive, but Paul is not. Paul was like, yeah, but I came to bring you Jesus. I didn't come to bring you the wisdom of the world. Right? I came to bring you salvation. I came to bring you the gospel. Right? And unfortunately, sometimes when we're still thinking through carnal minds, we're just looking at the eloquence, but what is the power? 
right? Where's the beef, right? Like, I don't know about you, but now when I teach younger guys who want to preach, I always tell them, I said, you know, the, the eloquence and all of that to me is secondary to is your life have the power of the gospel in it. Because if your life doesn't have the power of the gospel in it, all you're doing is blowing smoke. Right? And only Jesus can save. Your eloquence cannot save anyone. People can walk away going, wow, that was amazing. But yeah, but did you get saved? <laughs> right? So, so I love that about Paul. He was so smart, but he was like, no, I didn't come to you with that. I came to you with the power of the gospel which can actually change your life. Right? But they rejected him because he wasn't this worldly wise philosopher. But the message is Christ crucified. He was not trying to impress people. And the reality is, he says this. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Which is genuine wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. There is worldly wisdom, then there's godly wisdom. I don't know about you, if I, make, if I need to make a decision, I want to go to people who have godly wisdom. I don't want worldly wisdom. Right? I want godly wisdom. I was talking to a businessman today that comes to our church, and he's like, man, it's a different way of doing business now that I'm a believer. He's like, my business has changed since I started to tithe. He said, I saw a change because I put godly principles on my business. But it's like, I would never have done that before getting saved. And I can't go to my friends and say, I'm gonna tithe because they wouldn't understand it. <laughs> right? Because there's the, there's, there's, there's the world wisdom, then there's the godly wisdom. And sometimes it won't make sense to the people in the world what you're doing that God's calling you to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So, Again, Paul says genuine wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. Keep going. In, in chapter 3, he ties it up by saying this. He says, so don't boast about following a particular human leader for everything belongs to you. Which is so crazy to think about, right? He says, if you read the whole chapter, he says, look, me... Apollos, Peter, we're actually all here for you. And he said, and Christ brings us all together for you. He's like, the whole thing is yours. So why divide it up when you can have it all? Right? So think about that, right? Think about how the beauty of that is I could enjoy hymns. I can still enjoy Hillsong. <laughs> if I understand, it's all mine. It, you know, I can enjoy T.D. Jakes and I can enjoy Charles Stanley. You know, like, the beauty of this is it doesn't have to be, like, taking sides, right? The beauty of this is, like, no, it's all collectively to build you up and to lead you to the will and the purpose of God. And when you're spending time dividing, then you're missing the point that it's all his in the first place, right? And it's all for you to enjoy. Think about it. Like, God's like, I'm trying to give you options, and you're fighting over them, <laughs> You know, it's just like, again, think about it, the garden, right? He gives Adam and Eve a whole country. And what do they want? What they can't have. Right? And humans were so weak. Like, was, it's so funny to me where people argue over things that's like, it doesn't have to be either or. Why can't it be both? Why can't I like McDonald's and Burger King? 
They're both terrible. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to lose my friendship with you because you like Whoppers and I like, Berg, and I like Big Macs. Why shouldn't I like either of them? This, I don't even know why I'm using this analogy. It's, it's a bad analogy. But listen, here's some of the things that Paul says in chapter 3 and 4. He says, look, we're, we're fellow workers, not rivals. We need church people to understand this. We're fellow workers, not rivals. Like, again, going back to my friend yesterday, if his church does well, we all do well. I don't know about you, I want to see as many people get saved as possible. It doesn't have to be here. If they can go down the street and get saved there, praise God, they're getting saved. So I, I will never understand how we fight over these things as opposed to applaud each other for the efforts that you'll be doing to bring people to salvation. Right? Here's another thing I always like to say. Unity is not uniformity. Okay, unity is not uniformity. So my kids go to a school where they wear uniforms. That doesn't mean they're united. That's just a uniform. Unity is, do they have a uniform and they're pushing for the same things and they want the same things and they're going after the same things, right? That's a, that's a whole other ball game. You can have a team, right? Right now the Olympics, I love the Olympics. But yesterday I saw an interesting article on the Jamaican team the women's, because they win everything. They're amazing. I don't know what, what's in Jamaica. But man, they're fast. But there was an article yesterday that said, they said, if you notice, the girl that won was separated from the other two girls, but they're all Jamaicans. And then they said, oh, there's been some, some tension there. Why? Because they all three used to have same coach, and one decided to have a different coach, and she ended up winning. And so the other two were kind of like, But guess what? Same team, same uniform, but unity was kind of lacking there a little bit. Right? So unity is, 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 I don't have to look like you to want what you want. Right? I, don't, I don't have to like the worship song that you like for me to worship Jesus. You know? And so I, the, to me, this is maturity. Maturity is coming up and, and going beyond just what I think should be happening, right? But I should be able to celebrate you that you are in the same team as I am, right? And if you score a goal, we all scored. And if you missed a goal, man, you messed us up. <laughs> you messed us all up. But Paul says this though, he says, if you, if you want it and work for it, you can attain unity. You have to want it and you have to work for it. It doesn't fall on your lap. You have to want unity and you have to work for unity. The last thing I want to share with you today is in, is in chapter 4. And I use the message translation because I, I felt like it really it brings to life what Paul was trying to say to wrap up this whole concept of unity. Watch what Paul says, right? He says, I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold to shame you. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you, and I want you to grow up well, which is maturity, not spoiled. Watch this, though. 
There are a lot of people around you who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. I love that. It was as Jesus helped me to proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. What is this? This is the heart of a father. This is where, now, please hear me on this. This is so important. I think this is what separates an eloquent speaker from a genuine speaker. It's the heart. He's like, I didn't come to impress you. I came as your father. I came to help you. Right? And I'm not saying this happens every time, but a lot of times the reason why some of these pastors and teachers are failing is because it's all eloquence. There's no heart of a father attached to what you're doing. So it's easy to detach yourself from the people and go live a celebrity life as opposed to being there with the people because if you're a father, you're in the thick of it with everybody else. And you never scold just for the sake of scolding. You scold because you care, because you have a heart of a father. And I think nowadays, my friends, we have too many people who are waxing eloquence on YouTube, but they're not fathers. Right? A father takes time to explain to you why they're even scolding you. Right? Or a father is so careful in what he says to you because he knows there's power in your words. And I think a lot of times what Paul was saying is like, man, you got a lot of teachers, but where's the fathers? Where are the people who are really taking time to walk with you and be with you and, 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 and correct you because they care about you? And I think that's the difference between hearing someone that you never met on YouTube versus having a pastor in your house who actually loves you and cares about you and is walking with you and wants the best for you. So, and because we lack discernment in our society, we just go with the eloquence. But it's like you got to discern and say, where's the heart? Where's that coming from? Right? Because I have a hard time believing that you really care about people if you're bashing them all the time. And I really have a hard time hearing your message if your message is one of division. Where you always have to tell me which preachers are wrong and which ministry is wrong. But it's like, is that what a father does? A father is trying to help people grow up in their faith, in their understanding. Right? And he wants to explain to you, even when he says no, he wants to explain to you why he's saying no. Right? So the heart of a father is what I think we lack a lot of times. So... I'm at a place in my life that outside of my circle, this is just me. I pray you understand what I'm saying. Outside of my circle, I only listen to people who I believe are a father in the faith. I don't listen to a lot of young preachers. Not that they're not great, but, but I, I want to hear the heart of a father. So I'm very selective in my podcast. I'm very selective in, in even, like I just came back from a conference. I go to that conference because 
I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna hear from a father, a man who, who loves church, loves his family, loves his kids, and he's trying to build people. He's not trying to be eloquent and, and trying to impress you. So I'm very selective in that. And I pray you use your discernment when you're listening to people. They may sound great, but it's like, but where's that coming from? Is there a father in there who is trying to help you in life and is trying to help the body grow, not divide it? You know, I rather, I'm telling you, I'm so turned off. COVID turned me off to YouTube because all I saw was division. All I saw was people just dividing, not uniting, you know? And it's like, I, I, don't, I don't need to hear another person tell me what's wrong with the church. It's like, we're trying to work on the church. You know, it's like, like I said, like, you don't want to grow up in a house where every day all they tell you is what's wrong with you. It's like, well, we're trying to be a better family. We know we have issues. So we don't need Captain Obvious just pointing out the issues. When I say church, I don't mean like new life. Well, we have some of those too, but I mean like capital C, church. It's like, tell me something I don't know. We're working on, because to me, it's like, what are you telling the world? You're telling the world, look, don't ever go to church. You know? But it's like people are looking for hope. And here we are just pushing them away because we have to tell you how bad that church is and that one is and don't ever listen to this song, which blows my mind. I'm like, have you ever read Psalms? <laughs> the, the songs in the Psalms are crazy. <laughs> you know, Psalms are all letters and songs. It's like, have you ever done that? If you read the Psalms, you would never write a YouTube video about why you can't listen to certain, it's like, have you not read when they were like, God, I'm mad at my enemy. Kill them. <laughs> That's a song. I wish I was making it up. You know, but I think we bought into this romantic idea of church that's not real. We just finished Acts. Does that look romantic to you? Whenever someone says, I, I wish we were in a New Testament church, I'm like, have you read it? Persecution, trials, tribulations. Like, are you serious? You want to go back to the book of Acts? I don't think you do. I think this, there's a romantic idea that it was all good. But it wasn't. These guys were trying to figure it out. Paul fought with Peter. Paul fought with Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas fights with Paul. And they're all trying to figure it out. John Mark, by the way, did you notice? John Mark in Acts flaked on them. The guy who wrote the Bible. I don't know if you pay attention to these details. We just finished the Gospel of Mark. The guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark in the middle of a mission strip said, I'm out. Go read it in Acts, right? What did Paul say? Don't ever bring that kid again. Barnabas is like, no, I, I want to give him another chance. Paul's like, no way. I would never bring that kid again <laughs> on a mission trip. What did they do? They fought so bad, they went their separate ways. Now, years later, Paul writes his last letter in Timothy. And what does Paul say? One of those little nuggets that doesn't make you devotionals. He says, bring me John Mark. He's helpful to me. What happened? Well, life happens. Year goes by. People grow. People change. And you change the perspective on them. But it wasn't like this all, like they all were amazing and they all grew together and they all lived forever after. No, they all died. Terrible deaths. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I think we have this romantic idea of church how it should be. No, it's the reality that we're all messy. We're all going through life, but are we willing to be united in this journey 
and stay focused and faithful and trust Jesus. And yes, I can have my personal preference, but I don't have to make it a doctrine over you. You know, so the first four chapters is really what Paul is trying to do here. He's just trying to establish a, we got to be a united front. And then he gets into the other issues that this church had that we'll get into um, as we go forward. But here's, here's what I want to say as I close today. We have way too many voices, way too many opinions, but not enough fathers. That's the struggle that I'm seeing. We have too many voices. Everybody has an opinion, but we need fathers. And you don't need to be a preacher to be a father. You just need to care. Because the reality is, we can talk about father from a spiritual standpoint. We can talk about father from a physical standpoint. We are lacking fathers, period. You know? And so what we need is, is for more fathers to take the ownership and the roleship of a father. And to say, look, I'm here for the long haul. I'm here to teach. I'm here to lead. Like he said, I, I'm not going to tell you to do anything I'm not doing. Because that's what a father does. He leads by example. So when you think about church, I hope, you, I hope you pray along those lines. God, help us to be united. Teach me to discern the difference between my personal preference and what a doctrine is. And God, put me in a position to be a father. And obviously, when I say father, if you're, if you're a female, a mother in the faith. You know, because that's what we need. More than anything else. We have enough critics. We have enough naysayers. We have enough people dividing. We don't need more of that. Let's just add into the noise. That's why I don't go to YouTube anymore. It's like, just noise. Just add into more noise. I want to build. I want to edify. I want to strengthen. I want to encourage. I want to see... Our young people being able to say, oh, that's how you do it. Because what are we teaching them if we're not teaching them unity? If we're not teaching them what a father looks like? So they can model that forward. Amen? Amen. So let's pray together. Jesus, I, I thank you for every privilege that we get to spend together as a church. I pray tonight that our hearts are aligning with your heart. That you love people and you love your house whatever that looks like that each local church is a family and that each local church needs unity needs fathers it needs people that unite god i pray tonight that you help us to discern between personal preference and biblical doctrine and God, I pray that when we do come a, a, a across issues and topics that we might see different, that we don't allow that to be greater than the fact that you are the Lord of our lives. Teach us the difference between unity and uniformity. And God, like Paul, to give us a heart for people. May we embody what it means to be a mature believer to be faithful, to be grounded, to be rooted, and to trust that you're leading us every step of the way. So I pray, rebuke anything that looks like disunity in us and unite us under the banner of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray right now for all the other churches in our city, Lord, 
All the churches who are preaching Jesus, who are loving you and loving their neighbor. God bless each and every church. I pray that we have enough healthy churches in our city to win the entire city for you, Jesus. And I pray you bless them and bless their leadership and renew their strength tonight, Lord. And bless the church of Jesus Christ all over the world. Thank you, God, for the privilege of teaching your word. May your spirit confirm it in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a good night. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.